Hello, Canada, and welcome to another episode of Canadian Common Sense. This is Canadian Common Sense with Lewis and Tony. Hello, Canada. Today's date is June 1st. 2020 and it's tony here in saskatchewan and lewis out here in bc living in a dictatorship now we certainly are and we'll certainly talk about that one and actually why don't we just start off talking about that one because i'm absolutely stunned at how how easy it has been for justin trudeau to be the basic dictator that he's admired about china I think I think it is shocking and very disappointing at how easy it's been. I mean, Jagmeet Singh has been all too willing to help him, and he didn't even get anything in return for it. And this is this is the I, I'm just I'm just blown away by how so many Canadians just don't give a damn either. Well, that's the funny thing. It's just that there, if this was the United States, I mean, we would be people would be marching in the streets over a move like this. And if this was a Latin American country, there would be there there would be riots, there would be protests in Canada. Ah, meh, shrug the shoulders. What are you gonna do? Are you kidding me, Canada? Yeah, and then when people are asked who are you gonna vote for, thirty-seven percent say the Liberals. It's like yeah, I I I, I just. I am so, I, I don't even know what to say anymore. I, I, I don't want to be in this country anymore with the, way, with the way Canadians are so apathetic to Trudeau becoming a dictator. I mean, he's, we're, we've got him as a dictator for at least the next four months. Yeah, and, and you're right with the Mr. saying sold himself out and got nothing for it. And that's actually oh, one got, of my first... He got played. I mean, he, he got worked. He totally got worked. And like I have, if those who have listened to my rant last week about it, um, yeah, I even said, like, Mr. Singh, you got worked by the dumbest man in Canada. And I mean, I didn't say it that way in my rant, but that's true. I mean, Justin Trudeau is an absolute idiot. And there's, I don't think anybody that can possibly dispute that. And Mr. Singh got played by the absolute dumbest prime minister this country has ever had. So what does that say about you, Mr. Singh? Well, it, it says a lot because Jagmeet Singh used to be a provincial politician. And he doesn't even know what provincial jurisdiction is. Because what he asked for is 100% under the provincial jurisdiction. Good point. I mean... Does he even know what the constitution of this country says? Because of course he doesn't. I mean, this is ridiculous. How does the leader of a federal party who used to be a provincial politician not know the difference between federal and provincial jurisdiction? I mean, Trudeau doesn't know the difference either, but that's all right. Yeah, I mean, Trudeau doesn't know the difference, but he has such fabulous hair. So, I mean, that's really, that's all that matters to me. Yeah. 
problems. No, it's, it's, I mean, your point about Mr. Singh is bang on. He was an MPP in, in Ontario, member of the provincial parliament. And I'm not sure how many terms he served in the Ontario legislature. However, yeah, he should know better. And if he wants to be prime minister, then he should bloody well know the Constitution. I mean, I would say the same for Justin Trudeau, but it really only matters that he has nice hair and that he, you know, wants to grow the economy from the heart out. So, so, yeah, I mean, that, uh, it's surprising that Mr. Singh, I guess I'm actually disappointed in Mr. Singh that he would, that he would sell himself out to Justin Trudeau for nothing. I mean, for a soundbite. And I'm not sure if you watched, uh, was it question period this CTV with Evan yeah. Solomon? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, in, he had a brief interview with Jagmeet Singh where Mr. Singh just made himself look even dumber. Uh, I didn't see it. Oh, okay. Well, usually you, you watch that one. So I, uh, yeah, I usually it, do, but I haven't seen it. No. Okay. So yeah, Mr. Uh, Mr. Singh was being interviewed by Evan Solomon and Evan Solomon said flat out, like, you know, was it worth, shutting down parliament and allowing Mr. Trudeau to become a dictator. And, you know, do you, are you comfortable with, with selling that out and, you know, keeping parliament closed? Mr. Singh said, Oh no, we're going to have more time to question now. Now, instead of having 30 seconds, I'll have five minutes to question the government. So we're actually getting more accountability. And, and he, and Evan Solomon was, you know, very confused. And so he brought the question to him again. And Mr. Singh just kept going on and didn't want, Evan Solomon to say anything that he just kept cutting him off and talking about how this was actually creating more accountability because they would have more time to question the government. And again, Mr. Singh, do you not pay attention to the news? This parliament is going to have no questions that are outside of the COVID-19 committee, no private members bills, no order paper questions, no opposition days. So how do you think this is going to be keep the government more accountable when all you're doing is talking about the amount of money the government throws around? And in a couple of weeks, they're only going to get like four hours of debate. For, for all of June and July. Yeah. yeah. It's ridiculous. Four hours. That's it. There's no accountability. That's not accountability. Not even close. I'm, I'm just so disgusted with the lack of leadership in this country right now. And I mean, and it's at all levels, all levels. There's a lack of leadership. I mean, we you, don't even, the, the, the conserv the federal conservative party doesn't even have a leader. I mean, I'm sorry, but Andrew Shear's a lame duck. He doesn't even count. Totally. And, and the conservatives are completely rudderless at the moment. And this is why, <coughs> excuse me. It's not COVID, I swear. <laughs> this is why I said back in the spring they needed to move the leadership vote up to May, not back to August. Because they needed a permanent leader in place immediately. And this is proving why. Like, how could yep. I be right about this? And the people running that damn party couldn't be right about it. They were wrong. Right from the get-go, they were wrong about this. And now the conservatives have no teeth. No teeth. And they don't... And and I'm sorry, but like... Neither of the two front-running candidates are proving themselves at all at the moment. 
I mean, well, we're certainly not hearing enough from them. No, I mean, there's nothing. I mean, you want to be leader? You want to be prime minister? Then get in front of the cameras. Like, let get let this country know that there's somebody out there who actually gives a damn about the results of what happens this with this pandemic and what happens with you know the 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 federal liberal party becoming dictators and uh passing firearms legislation that uh you know is constitutionally illegal i mean you you gotta get out there i mean this is i i don't want either of them to be leader now i mean i want i want somebody who's gonna like let canada know that this is important Yep, well said. And you brought up the illegal firearms legislation, so that will be a great uh, segue into our next bit of business, which actually you alerted me to this weekend, is that Mr. Trudeau has decided to expand his new firearms ban in a kind of underhanded way. Yeah, that, that's, that's, to put it mildly, um, they have continued to add firearms to the list without even notifying the public firearms stores have to uh, are only finding out about this because uh, I, th- I believe this store is in, in BC here they reported to uh, I believe it was the National Post that they uh they went to f- sell an F-12 shotgun, which is a, uh, a semi-automatic 12-gauge shotgun. And they just thought to look it up on the database. And they looked it up, and sure enough, it was banned. It is a illegal weapon in Canada now. And For crying out loud. And so now they're going off after shotguns, and they're not even letting anyone know about it. And this is, I mean, luckily we, we've, we've heard that it's official that this is going to be challenged in court by uh, Canadian uh, Firearms Association, I believe. Um, and uh, I mean, this is, if you look in the legislation, like the Firearms Act, it even says that, that a government cannot arbitrarily decide that guns that are that are commonly used for hunting or sport shooting in Canada uh, can be arbitrarily deemed uh, illegal. That it, it can't happen just by the Firearms Act. Yeah, and by that same Firearms Act, the government, um, even with an order in council, they still have to give a sitting parliament 30 days notice before they make any changes. And of course they've subverted that by say, by going through an order in council. And I don't know how well even the order in council will pass the muster when it's the prime minister himself who has refused to allow parliament to sit thereby, you know, making his excuse for an order in council. So I think this lawsuit is going to be nasty and I really hope that our side wins. Oh, absolutely. Because I mean, I myself own a semi-automatic 20 gauge shotgun and, uh, 
I'm very concerned that it's going to be uh, outlawed very soon. Um, and I know that that you have a World War II uh, semi-automatic rifle that uh, that I saw brought up in the news by someone saying that it should be banned too because it's an actual military rifle. It is, and I also have a semi-automatic shotgun, which is a 12-gauge. So I'm I'm pretty certain if the Liberals have their way, I would be disarmed in no time. Yeah, I mean... Because cause I also have a handgun. So. Yeah, and I mean, this is this is getting out of control. I mean, the... The, the, they are actually trying to disarm Canadians now. And Canadians should be very, very worried about this because why? Why are they trying to disarm Can- Canadians right now? They are, they're playing dictator. They are attempting to uh, disarm Canadians. They're uh, attempting to nationalize corporations. Uh, I mean... It's just one thing after another, and it's all very, very reminiscent of uh, what happens in uh, in uh, countries that are run by dictators. Yep, absolutely. I mean, and they've usurped control of the media, not directly, but effectively by offering them $600 million of our money because you've seen there's been so little criticism from those media outlets who are receiving that money that that Canadians don't have a voice but and what worries me is that there's two million Canadians that are firearms owners at least uh, that have a, a possession and acquisition license yeah. so there that means 35 million that don't and I think there's part of the problem right there there's enough anti-gun Canadians that just think oh well I mean you rednecks don't need guns well what about those First Nations people are they a bunch of bunch of redneck hillbillies too Oh no, they're all right. They're exempt. Never mind. Two two tiered justice again. Yeah. No, it's. I, I'm just. I'm getting very, very, very concerned. It's. It's becoming very scary. No, it is. And uh, another move. And I'll segue in again to uh, a different move where our government is actually getting some. I won't say they're getting heat yet, but there's been some concern expressed to the Canadian government about Huawei, and. Now, I'm not sure how many Canadians know about the Five Eyes Intelligence Group. Uh, that is uh, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, Great Britain, and the United States all share intelligence together. And now the Five Eyes have, all but Canada now, have decided to reject Huawei in upgrading their 5G networks. Now, of course, Justin Trudeau says he still hasn't made a decision on Huawei, but now the partners in the, the Five Eyes organization have expressed some concerns to Canada saying that if you go ahead with this, it's going to be very difficult for us to continue sharing intelligence with you. Now, what is that going to mean for Canada? Oh, it's going to isolate us. Yeah. I mean, the, and, the, the thing is, is that Huawei is, I mean, this is something that, that I don't know if a lot of people know. And I think I touched on this on our last episode, but Huawei and every other corporation in, in China is part of the fascist government. I mean, the, the communist government of China uh, has 
ownership stake in every single corporation in China. And it's all because they need to control everything that happens in China. And when they've got someone like Huawei who has, or sorry, not someone, a company like like Huawei that is integrated in all of the uh, telecommunications and internet systems in, in the world, do you really think the Chinese government is not going to use that and not going to uh, tap into it to get information um, on other countries and, and all of that? I mean, you can't use Huawei equipment. I mean, they've already been, it's already been proven there's back doors in their equipment. Yeah. I mean, this is, no, then- this is not a good thing. And I mean, and, 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 and the way Trudeau is dithering over, over it and is uh, all of his dictatorial moves in the last couple of months really has me very concerned. Yeah, I really fear that, especially in the fact that we're, we are a laughingstock to China. China doesn't really care about Canada, about what we think they don't take Canada seriously. And I mean, nobody does. We've already talked about that before several times. So, I mean, really, they, they know Canada is a pushover. And I don't understand how Mr. Trudeau is so blinded by his love for China that he can't understand what a bad move this is for Canada, diplomatically and, you know, technologically. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, I don't know how, even if, even if the Trudeau government allows Huawei equipment, what, what telecommunications company is going to actually buy it? Like, that's what really, I don't understand, like, is Bell or TELUS or Videotron actually going to buy the Huawei equipment? Because if they do, then, uh, then they're just, they're part of the problem. And my hand is in the air right now because Saskatel, our Saskatchewan's phone company, did buy a bunch of Huawei equipment. However, they also said that should Canada reject Huawei, they will, you know, get rid of that equipment and go to whoever Canada goes with. But, yep, I'm 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 part of the dictatorship now. I'm in, I'm actually kind of in shock by that. As was I when I learned that. Yeah, but uh, Saskatel has actually spent a few million dollars already in uh, in Huawei upgrades to our our five G network. That's insane. It is. Like, what's going on in your province? Tell me about it. Because Scott <laughs> Moe isn't a conservative anymore. What the hell? And what a quick shift he made away from being a conservative. I mean, even when he ran for the SAS party leadership a couple of years ago, he said all the right things. I mean, all the candidates did. And had I been a member at the time, actually I was a member at the time, and he wasn't my first choice, but I mean, I wasn't upset with the choice of him. But it seems like this pandemic has really shown a lot of true colors for a lot of politicians. I mean, I think Scott Moe made a lot of good moves, but now he is, uh, I believe, the last premier not to reconvene the, the or the legislature. I mean, there, there we we still haven't had a budget passed, which and usually there's a budget in April in Saskatchewan or March. And okay, I get delayed of the budget, but.
but it's June now. We have a, a provincial election in October, and it's been by that time it will have been four and a half years between elections. So it's time, and he's just kicking the can down the road. And really, they're just kind of making fun of the opposition when they're suggesting it's time to open the legislature. It's time to get a budget going. And I actually agree with that, which is odd because I don't really agree with the NDP on anything, but that's our official opposition. And they're right. It's time to get the legislature going. But instead, Mr. Moe was saying, oh, well, you talk to our house leader. And then the house leader pokes a little bit of fun and then sent a letter to uh, NDP leader Ryan Miley as Mr. Miley was walking up to a press conference. And there's still no resolution yet. There's still no date that our legislature is going to open. So we also have a dictator. He's sounding an awful lot like Trudeau right now. And that's what scares me is that he is. And we need to have some accountability for the money we're spending. Obviously, there's not $300 billion flying out of the Saskatchewan coffers. But we need to know that they, they released a statement, and I believe it was April, and just kind of talked about the expenditure side. But there was no talk about revenues, no talk about what our deficit's going to be. And all I'm thinking is... October 26th is election day in Saskatchewan. So that's four and a half months away or five, basically five months. And yeah, we've still been kept in the dark and it's June already. So I have a funny feeling they will try to just push the legislature off and have a very brief fall sitting and then go to, go to the polls. Well, it's sounding like we could have a federal election around the same time. Now, I'm glad you brought that up. There was, uh, I have heard talk about that. And there were some of the uh, media lapdogs saying, oh, September, September, so we can catch the conservatives off guard with a brand new leader. There was a poll, the results came out today, and I, I sent it to you. Now, I can't repeat what your response was to me on, on public airwaves, but I <laughs> agreed. At first, I agreed exactly with what you had said. And then I thought about it, and I'm actually a little more optimistic than I was this morning. So the poll came out and I don't remember the polling organization, but we're an election held today. The liberal party of Canada would receive 37% of the popular vote to 31% for the conservative party of Canada. So at first I thought bleep, this like uh, we had talked about earlier, Yeah. but then, then I thought about it more and I thought, you know, Mr. Trudeau has thrown literally hundreds of billions of your tax dollars, Canada, at you for COVID-19. And the best he could get right now is 37%, which is not even a majority government in Canada. It's getting close, but I thought if by throwing that many hundreds of billions of dollars, he still isn't even at majority level. What does that say about him? Well, that's true. Um, I mean, he's, uh, the theory that I've heard is that he made this deal with, uh, Singh to keep the house from sitting until I believe it's September 21st. And, uh, and they were doing that so that they could capitalize on their popularity that they've got through all this and, not giving the Conservatives' new leader a chance to be seen in public or in the House of Commons, and then just call an election uh, right before they're supposed to sit. And uh, so that, you know, the Conservatives are totally 
caught with their pants down, which I don't know. It doesn't seem to be hard to do right now. True. I mean, and honestly, God, I hate to, to, to say this, but tactically that's actually a very good move that, that uh, I hate, I hate it. I hate that, that move, but, but tactically, yeah. I mean, that, that's smart to keep Canadians in the dark for the, throughout the summer. And Mr. Trudeau's numbers have gone up. His pop, personal popularity is right. Just over 50%, right. Uh, which I guess is, is good. Not as good as it was back in 2015 when he was first elected, but certainly very good numbers. So, I mean, yeah, he wants to capitalize on that, but I just, I just hate it. Yeah. Those, those uh, uh, approval numbers are close. Like they're a lot closer to uh, what they were after the election in 2015 than he's had since. So true. I I think that's the best his numbers have been since the election. Um, But I don't know. I mean, I just, I don't even understand that because I got sick and tired of seeing his smug face like a month ago. Yeah. Likewise. And I, and I, I thought, my gosh, I got to learn how to speak English again. I had hypothesized before that part of the, the, the glow right now is because yeah, there was a pandemic and he wrapped himself in the flag and he's captain Canada bringing us through this, but I think for a lot of people in the country, the pandemic is over. I mean, even if there are still the Wuhan virus infections going around, it's summertime, it's Canada, it's not a very long season. I think people have just said, you know what? We, the people, have decided this pandemic is over and we're bloody well going out. So I think Mr. Trudeau is, is going to be wise to either start to pretend he's a leader or those numbers are going to drop pretty quickly. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, there was a McLean's article uh, that I saw on the weekend and I believe you sent it to me. And the author of that McLean's article is, is a, a scientist and he, and, and he called Trudeau out and said that, Trudeau has shown that he is not fit to be leader. And that was and actually, could, uh, and he couldn't be more, more right. Well, it's funny because I don't find myself, you know, very often promoting or agreeing with anything that McLean's ever publishes, but yeah, I mean, this, this guy, he hit it all right on the head and it was really hard for me not just to keep naughty and saying like, yeah, he's absolutely right. that Canada, I think the title of the article was something to the effect of, you know, Canada has bungled its, its COVID-19 response. And he hit in every single way how Mr. Trudeau has just gotten this wrong. Yeah. I don't, I don't a hundred percent agree with him. I mean, he, um, this scientist was advocating for Trudeau to declare, to use the emergencies act uh, in order to, um, I guess, take control away from the premiers. Oh, I guess he did say that, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. That's and not I, and yeah. I totally disagree with that. A hundred percent. But I understand why he, as a scientist, advocated for that. Because science, like science-wise, he's probably right. 
that it would make sense to for the for the uh, prime minister to take leadership over all of this, take it out of the province's hands, so that Health Canada can take take the lead on it, and that way they get, you know, uh, you know they can they can uh, make sure that the information that they're receiving is all up to date and all of this kind of stuff. Which he he mentioned one thing that I, I found absolutely appalling is that Health Canada still relies on fax machines. They do not they do not send anything by email. <laughs> they use fax machines. Wasn't that something I I read that and I thought to myself, um, nineteen ninety five called. They'd like their machines back. Yeah. So he's <laughs> so he's um, he's making. A lot of sense science wise but the problem i have with what he was advocating was that not all the provinces are in the same boat though and, that's right and and when you sorry, go ahead all, and when you centralize control then you're not seeing how one jurisdiction might be doing it differently from another one and it might work better and that's why I don't like that's why I don't like the idea of the federal government being in control of healthcare which they're not people Canadians need to understand that the federal government is not in control of healthcare the provinces are the federal government offers some funding and I believe it's about 17% and they have um, they set out the five rules of uh of the canadian healthcare system uh to, to the you know the the five different rules and i i can't remember exactly what the wording is for the, all of them but but they're the ones who set out those rules and that's it the the provinces decide where the money goes how their system runs all of this kind of stuff that's why from province to province you get different uh like different healthcare systems like they do operate differently and so when you have a pandemic like this and each province deals with things differently, you see how, how BC uh, handled it much better than Ontario or Quebec. And when you, when you have that, you can learn from each other. But if one central government is controlling it all, you're not learning from mistakes. You're not learning from other people's successes because you're not because there aren't any differences. Yeah, that's right. And actually, good point. I uh, I had to giggle today when I realized June first. So the first projections that uh, my government here in Saskatchewan went on, which was the doomsday projections, our best case scenario was going to be. 3,075 deaths from the Wuhan virus by yesterday. And thankfully, we got to 11, not 11,000, not even 1,100, but 11 fatalities. So you look at it, and I mean, BC being the third largest province population wise in Canada, and with so much of that population centered in the lower mainland, BC's done a great job. And uh, you look, 94% of the fatalities from the Wuhan virus in Canada are in Ontario, Quebec, and Alberta. What's really sad is that 83% of those fatalities are all in long-term care homes for the, for the elderly. Yeah. 
that's criminal. That actually, uh, that breaks my heart. I mean, that's, I, that, that's just, that is a, that is a stain on this country that, that needs to be fixed and needs to be fixed right bloody now. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And I mean, and if Canadians actually gave, you know, gave a crap, we might be seeing demonstrations like you're seeing in the U.S. right now with for uh, with, but they're they're demonstrating against police brutality. But as far as I'm concerned, what the people in the long term care facilities in Quebec and Ontario have been going through is brutality. It really is. And I mean, the, this the whole situation, the whole system, as it were, has been studied to death already. And every time it's studied, the you know the commission that studies it always says changes are needed, and yet nothing ever changes. And it really, really pisses me off, honestly, that to that this is what it takes to to get anybody to pay attention. And there bloody well better be some changes after all this, because this is disgraceful. And yet, I don't get the impression that people are. Uh, horrified by this, I agree. You're you're right. I mean, I think it, I think that some people are. I think the media is doing its best to uh, bring awareness to it. Um, and I don't compliment the media very often, um, but I think that they are doing their best trying to to shine a light on it. But I don't see Canadians getting really upset about it i i just don't i just don't see them i don't see people being horrified and they should be they should be horrified absolutely they should be i mean it's uh it's really sad that the canadian armed forces had to intervene and take over you know running some of these long-term care homes but it really has been a blessing in disguise because the military has no agenda whatsoever other than to serve this country and the reports that are coming back from the military about the conditions in some of these homes and just the general state of not only the residents, but the facilities themselves has been absolutely damning. And I'm hoping that, that maybe that will be the impetus to make the governments take this seriously. I don't think it will be. I, I, I hate to be so negative or, not negative, but um, well, you're being realistic, is what you're being. Yeah, but I'm being pessimistic. Um, True, and I and I don't think I don't think it will be for the same reason that I don't think anytime there's a report done on the living conditions on uh, on remote reserves uh, is ever taken seriously either, I, or the or the fact that you know most. Indian reserves in Canada don't have clean drinking water. I, I don't think they're taken seriously either. It's, I, I just, I'm embarrassed to be Canadian right now. And not because I'm embarrassed of what, of, of our government attempting to wrestle control uh a minority government at that, a minority government attempting to wrestle ultimate control from, from the opposition parties and succeeding. 
I'm not, I'm not embarrassed by that. I'm upset by it, I'm, but I'm not embarrassed by it. I'm, I'm upset by the conditions in these long-term care facilities. I'm not, I'm not embarrassed by it, but I'm upset and I'm angered by it. What I'm ups, what I'm embarrassed about is the total apathy of Canadians. I, I'm I'm embarrassed by how Canadians are just willing to lay down and show their belly like a dog that's submitting itself to its owner, to its master. I'm just Canadians are all too willing to just roll over and and show their belly to the government and say just do whatever you want. And and it and it happens all the time and Canadians are such apathetic fools and and I and that's what embarrasses me that's why I'm embarrassed to be Canadian right now well and I actually agree with you fully on that on you know I am absolutely embarrassed by Canadians apathy but I am totally embarrassed by Canadians apathy or you know, cavalier attitude about the whole situation in long-term care facilities. And it's not just because my mother happens to live in one where she actually is quite well taken care of. I got to say, I mean, I, uh, I'm very happy for that, especially now, but if this is the way the Canadians are okay with, with our elders being treated, if this is how Canadians view our elderly citizens, our greatest generation, the people who built this country and made it, what it is today or even what it was 20 years ago, if this is how little Canadians care about how well our elderly citizens are being taken care of, you damn right that makes me embarrassed to be a Canadian. It's absolutely pitiful. It's disgusting. Yeah. And I mean, but, but, and it's, and it's not just that issue. It's all these issues. It's all these, you know, dictatorial moves by our government that just go unopposed well yeah i mean you think that canadians at the very least would be emailing their members of parliament saying what the hell is going on but instead it's oh look beer oh hey it's summertime yeah and I, I'm, I'm just I, I i'm so disillusioned and I, I don't even know what to say anymore. It's just, it's disgusting the way Canadians just throw their hands up. Oh, well. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, um, I'm not sure how many Canadians remember Glenn Foster. He's a comedian. He's that Canadian guy. And he hasn't really done much stuff in the last probably 10 years, but that was always one of his things. It's like, well, what are you going to do? And I mean, that, could be a catchphrase for a lot of Canadians because they just kind of shrug, meh, yeah, what are you going to do? And it's like, well, there's a lot we could do, Canada, but we choose not to. And that's why our country is slipping away from us. And it's not even slipping. It's it's absolutely running away from us. Yeah. And I, and I think and this is a lot of, a lot of this is why I said to you on the last show that, that I don't think that in a few years, Canada is going to be in one piece. And I think it's going to have a lot to do with the fact that 
everything and everyone is going to be going bankrupt. And, uh, and, uh, people in Western Canada are, are have had enough. And, yeah. and, I just, and I just don't see how Canada can stay in one piece and get through this. Well, we certainly, I guess where I will grant you that is that Canada needs a leader that actually cares about Canada as in the whole country. And I'll actually wrap up with this last topic here. When I talk about, and this just sort of exemplifies the Trudeau government's attitude towards anything that's not the Laurentian triangle. And that is the province of Newfoundland and Labrador. We talked on previous shows that, that Newfoundland is on the brink of bankruptcy. Like they are broke and they are like literally about to declare official bankruptcy. And so Dwight Ball, who is the outgoing premier of Newfoundland looked, asked for some help from the federal government said that, you know, we have a lot of offshore oil resources we would like to develop and we want some help to develop those. And of course we already know that any assistance for the oil and gas industry or probably any industry, they need to detail their plan to be net zero emissions by 2050. So when the province of Newfoundland asked for help with offshore drilling, they were told by Seamus O'Regan, who is Newfoundland's representative in the federal cabinet, he's Minister of Indigenous Relations or whatever the portfolio is called now. And in true arrogant liberal fashion, he responded by thanking Newfoundland for their commitment to to net zero emissions by 2050. Not yes, we'll help, not no, we'll help. Just I didn't hear a word you said because I'm too busy virtue signaling. So thank you. And oh, by the way, that Chinese firm wants to drill offshore. You guys go ahead. Like it just blows my mind how little this government cares about Canada, as I say, outside of that Laurentian triangle. Yeah, it's. Well, they're going to allow Newfoundland to go bankrupt and it doesn't have to happen. And and hot on the heels of of Newfoundland is the city of Vancouver. Yeah. And as you'd mentioned in a previous show, Alberta can't be far behind. If they continue to keep their foot on the throats of the oil industry, Alberta will, will be, will be done in no time. Yeah. But I mean, and I, and I really don't know if people understand this. The city of Vancouver is actually on the verge of declaring bankruptcy itself. Like this is how bad things are in this country right now. Yeah. And I think, you know, Mr. Trudeau this morning in his uh, daily press briefing announced that the government in their quote unquote way to help municipalities is they're going to release all the municipal grants now which is to the tune of about 2.2 billion dollars rather than spread them through the rest of the year and again just shows exactly how out of touch mr trudeau is you're sprinkling down just it's it's like you're sprinkling sugar onto a cake you're really doing absolutely nothing to solve the problem you're just trying to sweeten the pot ever so so slightly and where the hell is this money coming from it's coming from, from your grandchildren to my grandchildren. That's where it's coming from. That's that's what I want to know. I want to know where the hell all this money is coming from. Like, it, if the central bank is just going to keep printing money and lending it to the federal government, our money is going to be worthless in short yeah. 
It won't be yeah. very long before our money is completely worthless. Yep, and here's one more thing to get your blood boiling. I sent you an article that Pierre Polyev had had written for the Post Millennial, and in that article, Pierre Polyev talks about the you know, our national debt being one trillion dollars here, which is going to be before the end of the year, and talked about how we're almost as bad as we were in 1995 when the rest of the world said they were no longer willing to loan money to Canada. But here is what absolutely burned my bonnet, to be put it nicely, was when Mr. Polyev said that our federal government, in all their wisdom, decided that only about, gosh, I can't remember the exact figure now, it was low. It was less than 10% of all this debt they're taking on. Did the government decide to lock that debt in at 1.1% interest rate and instead just you know, over for over for over 30 years and instead decided to say, Oh no, we'll put it on the short term market for, you know, at 2% plus to which Mr. Polyev said, you have no plans on balancing the budget. So why the hell would you not lock all that debt in long term at a bottom bargain basement rate? So this country actually has a chance to get out of debt. But this government doesn't care. It's like it's like they want to bankrupt us. Yeah, and honestly, I I I don't think that's far from the truth. Because if it, I think, you know, if he can bankrupt the country, then he can declare a state of emergency, and he doesn't ever have to have another election again. God damn, you could be right. That's not something I thought about, but that's actually a very, very good point, isn't it? And on that Here, note, <laughs> on the, and we've we've reached our time. <laughs> let's let's end the show with some sunshine. <laughs> yeah, God, why do we do this? Every show we end on a sour note. <laughs> well, one day we'll actually have something positive to talk about for this this country and. Lately, we just haven't had that. So uh, apologies, Canada, but um, we're going to leave you with a lot to think about today. And I know it was certainly very thought-provoking for me. Uh, again, I had a whole list of things I wanted to discuss, so you can look forward to a rant or two throughout the week. Uh, we do want to thank you for joining us today, though. So until next time, it's Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. Hey, good night, Canada. Good night.